0: Well, we're back with another episode of Holy C.V. after a bit of a break, Clinton. But um, it's good to be with you again. Just to introduce myself, I'm Jamie Franklin. Um, I am a, a curate in the Church of England and a priest um, with Clinton Collister, my uh, my friend who is living in the good old city of Oxford. And uh, Clinton, you're a student of divinity, and you do various things at Pewsey House, don't you? Um, how are you today?
1: I'm good. Yes, yes. Uh... Pastoral assistant and researcher at Pusey House and okay. and uh doctoral student or candidate at at Cambridge. And uh I I'm looking forward to today's timely episode about the the doctrine of marriage and God's gift of holy matrimony. Should should be fascinating.
0: Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. Anything before we get to that, Clinton, anything new in Oxford or is it just all the same as it always is?
1: You know, this is the craziest thing. Uh I don't know if you recall, probably a year ago, one one of our listeners from Australia wrote us saying that he had found Darwell Stone's Outlines of Christian Dogma in his library, and, and it was actually um, a gift from Stone himself and had his own, no, no, it, it had a letter from Stone within it about the nature of, of the sacrament of oracular confession. And and this guy, uh, Timothy, he's been corresponding with me ever since, and he came out for the pusey conference this summer and now he's a student at at staggers and we ju- we just went out for lunch so uh wow. so yeah I, I guess that that's that's been good
0: so he was and... in australia and now he's is that what is that what the story was he was in, yeah, australia, he was in australia and now he's and now he's a, training uh, for the priesthood exactly so wow. he's a
1: theology student in australia let listen, listen to the podcast and now he's training for the priesthood at st stephen's wow um the, the other exciting thing uh along with with folks who are kind of theologically aligned in terms of uh, Anglo-Catholicism and Evangelical Catholicism, uh, a number of us got together last Saturday to refound the Brotherhood of the Holy Trinity, which was, uh, for, for 80 years, a, a fraternity here in Oxford that, that was actually the forerunner to the Society of the Holy Cross and, and And so now there are, you know, we had about a dozen guys come out. Now there are five, five members. Uh, and, and so that was exciting on Saturday to see that kick off once again.
0: Yeah! Wow, lots going on. Lots going yeah. on. So I'm, I'm glad I asked. I was I was going to make some kind of humorous comment about how Oxford tends to be a fairly uh, static and conservative place, but but obviously not obviously not Clinton. Well, um, I mean,
1: uh, it was. Edmund Burke said, um, you know, con- conservation. I wish I could remember the exact phrase, but but um, the means of our, our conservation require change or something to that effect. So so yes, we we are conserving, but it requires action. Uh yeah. What about you? How are things in Nottingham?
0: Uh, well, well, they're just the same, really, you know, just parish, parish ministry, you know, um, preaching, celebrating the sacraments, providing pastoral care, you know, just, just the same old stuff. Nothing is, nothing is exciting Clinton to say really in terms of anything different, but, um, I'm pleased that we're back. On Holy C V, we've had a bit of a a bit of a time since our last one, haven't we? And today we are going to be joined well, we are joined, we're not going to be joined, we are joined by Father Luke Miller, who is the archdeacon of of London. And you're you're also an author, aren't you, Father Luke? We were just talking about your book, A Lifelong Springtime, which is um subtitled the The Life and Teaching of Father George Congreve, which was re- released last year. And uh, today you're going to be talking a little bit with us about holy matrimony and marriage and things like that. But let's um let's just say hello to you to begin with, uh, Father, it's it's great to have you on. Thank you thank you for being with us.
2: Thanks very much Clinton. It's great to be here and uh, Jamie, it's really really good to be with you thank you
0: fantastic and, Thanks for coming, father. and and you were just telling us father that you you are the Archdeacon of London but you're also you're also a rector in in Tottenham is that is that right?
2: Well I was uh, before I became oh. Archdeacon of London I was a, I was a, a vicar in Tottenham. I'm now also a rector in the city of London Ah that's um, it yeah which uh, uh, I'm still supporting house for duty here in the city. Uh, within the parish of St Andrew by the Wardrobe, uh, with St Anne's Blackfriars and St Martin. Ludgate, so I've got uh, uh, two church that exist, and one was lost in the Great Fire of London. But prior to that, I was 17 years uh, a parish priest in uh, St Mary's Tottenham, uh, not far ah. from the Spurs ground.
0: Now, very, very nice. Are you a Spurs fan?
2: Well, you know, um, my father was a priest, and uh, he was a priest in Sheffield, and uh, he famously went visiting. And uh, he said they was asked that question. Are you a are you a fan of Sheffield? And he said, Oh yes, of course I am. And uh, the the the, the chap said, uh, Yeah, it's okay, but uh, town or Wednesday? Uh, and uh, my father's advice was that one should always support a football team, which is a long way away and no threat. Mm. And. Uh, <laughs> I, I keep an eye on what the Spurs are doing, but I wouldn't say I'm, I'm. 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 I'm not good at being a supporter in the sense that I don't follow football very closely.
0: I see. I see. I see. Well, that's that's fair enough. I I am a Spurs fan. I grew up going ah. to. I grew up grew up going to White Hart Lane. Um, so I guess I probably went there at some point when you were when you were just around the corner when I was you know a teenager or something. But um, yeah, a, Quite probably.
2: Yeah, that's that's extraordinary. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: it's a magical place. Um, mm. haven't been for a long time though. Um, well. Let's, um, let's let's dive in, uh, shall we, Father? So um, it's great to have you. We're really looking forward to hearing what you've got to say about uh, holy matrimony and, and marriage, but uh, we'd like to just get a bit of uh, background, really, hear about a little bit about your story, about your journey. So could you tell us you know, something about you know, how you sort of um, came to be part of the church in the first place? Did, were you a sort of adult convert? Or you were you born into a Christian family? And also something about your involvement in the Anglo-Catholic tradition as well?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, my, uh, my, my father was a priest. Um, in fact, my parents met, as I say, in Sheffield. Uh, my mother was a fully trained uh, uh, woman worker. And uh, uh, so she went off to college and trained for that, much as you would train nowadays for the priesthood. Uh, she was in her second parish, uh, having done a, a stint in Catford. Uh, and my dad arrived to serve his title as in his first parish, and uh, she thought was upstart here It needed keeping in uh, keeping in uh, in order. Uh, <laughs> so, reader, she married him, and uh, so um, I was I was then born when my parents moved to uh, uh, moved to Scunthorpe, in uh, uh, and uh, so I was born in a housing estate in in Scunthorpe, where my dad was uh, in charge of a, uh, a newly built church. He didn't build it, but he was the first uh, first incumbent there, and uh, then he became uh, a youth worker or a youth officer uh, for the Diocese of Ripon. We lived in Leeds for a bit. Uh, and then uh, he became a country pastor in Bedfordshire after a little stint working uh, for national youth work in, uh, when we uh, lived in Hertfordshire. So um, I have a, a, a home family church background. And um, I suppose it was what would now be called in our slightly more sort of stiff days, I suppose, prayer book Catholic, mm. uh, in the sense that my father... Uh, particularly in the villages, but uh, I think throughout his ministry, he he had the Catholic teaching um, very much based on on classic Anglicanism. Uh, he he wasn't a scholar uh, particularly. Uh, he'd been he's very proud of the fact that he was a, a, a physicist. He was a scientist at uh, at University at King's and um, in, in London, and then uh, he, he he trained at Lincoln Theological College, and so he had that uh, that that sort of. Um, that uh, uh, Catholicism that's formed through the prayer book, through the, the day-to-day life of the, of the Church of England in which he'd been brought up in the 40s, 50s and 60s. Mm. And, um, and then uh, uh, when I went to university in Cambridge, um, I stumbled across the St Mary's um, and, uh, and liked it. Uh, began to discover that my mother had a much more Catholic, much more strong Catholic formation uh, at St Dunstan's Cheam uh, in her background. Mm. Um, and that my grandmother, her mother, had... Uh, um, Used to cycle down down to the daily mass and back again. I just thought Granny was going to church. It didn't seem anything special. I think that was the point about it. It didn't seem anything special. It was just ordinary. Mm. And then when I uh, discerned for which theological college I might go to, um, I um, I ended up at St Stephen's House and uh, uh, began there to be formed more explicitly in the in the Catholic tradition of the Church of England. Or rather more in the in the Church of England, because, of course, the whole point about the Catholic tradition is that it's not just, you know, you, there's not a menu of, of different things. You know, we like dressing up. We like doing it this way. We like we like the word more than the It's about saying what actually is the Church of England. And of course, our, our understanding is that the Church of England is part of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And that uh, therefore um, all we're doing is articulating outwardly what is always implicit in being an Anglican.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely well amen amen yeah, you won't find any cavil with that on this podcast I, I thought not, <laughs> <laughs> <Definitely> not. <laughs>
2: um
0: yeah that's great so you, it really runs in the family doesn't it because just before we were um we were talking uh online i oh, sorry on the recording you were saying your your son is a priest as well so you've got you've got three yes, generation and, and, generation and actually says so my wife and
2: so oh. um uh, we, my wife and I met on on, on, on ordination retreat uh, and so my my poor old children have had to put up with the fact that we've argued as we did all the way through uh, uh, post ordination training. Uh, mm. We argued about so also. I mean, most married couples are, or, or most engaged couples are having uh, discussions about all sorts of things, but they're possibly not pulling out the Greek New Testament and arguing about whether or not the handkerchiefs that were touched to Saint Paul's body were or weren't um, touch relics. Um, because <laughs> she she her background is as a charismatic evangelical, yeah. always in favour of the ordination of women of all three orders. Um, mine is, as I say formed in the in the in the, formed as a Catholic um uh, uh and who thinks that the universal church doesn't give us the uh the opportunity to uh or, or, to to ordain women to the priesthood uh or to the other orders and so you know we 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 have we've lived out the two integrities in the household and poor old Stephen was <laughs> spun out of that uh, and then ended up himself now ordained and working as a as a curate in, in, a, in a parish uh, my other sons also go to church which is i think remarkable that they've survived it that way <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you're,
0: you're really a microcosm of the uh the concept of uh, mutual flourishing there i suppose in in your household I hope
2: so. I hope so. Stephen and I are of one mind. Um, uh, uh, his, 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 his mother and brothers are of the other, and uh, we all crack on and get on with it. Yeah, well, that's
0: great. Yeah, it's good to hear. It's interesting. Uh, this is not obviously directly relevant, but the the thing you say about the um, Saint Paul's handkerchief, I actually wrote about that in my my doctorate. I use that as one of several examples of of enchantment enchanted objects in 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 the in the New Testament. It just seems to me to be, it just seems to me to be quite clear that. The object was was uh, charged with with spiritual power, so I, I don't really know what the argument against that would be, but it just seems to be straightforward uh, as far as I'm concerned.
2: Well, it was the only time I always cite it because it's the only time my wife came in and said that I'd won the argument. That was the only. <laughs> was the only <laughs> one. We still remember it to this day because it's the only argument I've ever won.
0: All right. <laughs> well, it's good. It's good to. It's good to win at least one of them. Um, just just a just another little sort of a bit of a question, sort of um, round out a little bit about your experience. So you've been uh, you've been a you've been a parish priest. You're, you're an archdeacon now. Can you? You say something about how your your different roles and the different places you've been um how you have sort of adapted to those and and how those experiences have been different
2: yeah they've been very different in all sorts of ways so um uh I, as, a, as a as a curate it was a very pastorally focused ministry um and uh, um and then of course when one becomes a parish priest then the the whole business of the diaconal end of things comes out uh i uh and i was also more direct i mean as a a curate there was was plenty of evangelism i used to do cold door knocking and so on but uh, um that developed a bit more into a kind of sense of responsibility for the parish you know these souls your watchmen of israel all of that Mm. um and there's that something around um and so uh, st mary's um was where i was we we went through a season of growth um we also did quite a lot of mending of the buildings, and those two things came together: the diaconal and the and the and the the, the pastoral and sacramental were woven together in a in what was fundamentally about. Uh, uh, proclaiming the good news in different ways. I say mm. An example of that would be that the uh, we needed to rebuild the church hall from the ground up. Mm. Um, we wanted to cast a vision that didn't say, oh, well, we used to have a hall around there and they closed it and sold the land and went off with the money, but that here was a great hub of community life, which the church had presented to the community and invited the community to come not only onto our ground but also to hear what we had to say as a result of us having that facility. Mm. And that was um, in those days it sounds like a tiny sum of money nowadays but it was a lot of money in those days uh, 400 pound project to rebuild that church hall from the ground up mm. um, in partnership with the housing association also sp- span out nine social housing units as a result of it so there was, there was and, and that of course was a little bit of a uh, and we planted two churches um and uh, uh and saw um and, and saw growth um uh, in all sorts of ways um and those two things then of course but well, that was the um if you like the apprenticeship for archdeaconing. Now archdeaconing, you step back. There's no religion hardwired into being an archdeacon. Um it's uh, I mean oh, it's, no. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you I spent years banging on saying you know, like yesterday, you know, you must make sure you go to church on the on the, on the holy days of obligation. Up comes up comes the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. I've got to organize myself to be in church. And the lay people go, Yes, that's what we've been telling you all this time. And <laughs> I and I used to joke and say that uh, it was uh, uh, oh, I used to say, "Oh, I'm paid to this." Oh, Father, you're so holy. I used to say, "Yes, because I'm paid to be in church." Of course, I was, and I'm not now paid to be in church. I'm, 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 I, I My role is to do that bit of providing the what the, some call it the trellis for the vine, the scaffolding for mission. I like to call it that enables the church to be able to do its work well because the cogs and wheels and the engine room is working really well. And I do that across a load of churches, 88 across my patch. And if they are with my colleagues, and if that is, if that's going well, then that's where the mission lies. I have a little bit of mission because I am the sub-supporting House of Duty Rector of a parish, but we have a tiny congregation and a very particular kind of ministry, mm-hmm. which again is partly, um, uh, around, uh, and that's around touching people uh, at specific moments. Uh, so this evening I've got a carol service. Uh, we shall probably have 150 people from the British Slovene Society in, in one of our churches this evening. Wow. And- um And the thing is that I see them once a year that's not a regular pastoral ministry, nor is it a regular evangelism, but it is something around providing the the background the pre evangelization that I think we need to have in society uh, and We do a lot more of that, perhaps at least I do in the city others do do their city ministry differently, but my day job doesn't allow me to do much more than than mm. than that so it's been a different kinds of patterns of ministry
0: yeah.
2: uh, and of and of experience
0: and could I just ask you know that that switch from You know, a more sort of um, past, sort of immediately pastoral ministry, which is more closely associated with uh, associated with a group of parishioners in a in a in a church setting, to the archdeacon setting, which you know, as you say, is more of a sort of stepping back and providing the trellis. I mean, that that seems. Well I don't know I mean can you just say something about that because it seems like as as somebody who's called to ordain ministry that's you you're sort of you're giving something up there aren't you by by making that step back can you can you say something about that a little bit more
2: yes I mean I, I think what, what giving up or perhaps going back to mm being very much more focused on the diaconal end of what it is right. to be uh, an Anglican minister, if I can use that broad term in that way. So, I mean, uh, we ask of our parish priests, specifically of vicars, um, that the, they will be both a priest, a sacraments machine, if you like, mm-hmm. and they will be a deacon, they'll be an organizer and a, and a small end manager and all the rest of it. Um, and so most of us have that dual experience and think of that as being normal. Um, and, uh, uh but but actually there are ministries which focus on more on one than on the other, mm. um, and so there are those whose ministry is very much more focused on on the pastoral. Um, one thinks of the chaplaincy work. Um, those whose ministry is focused very heavily on the sacramental. Um, we don't have chantry priests any longer, but that kind of ministry. And, I, and my observation from the outside of. Of the Roman Catholic priestly ministry is that uh, um, it's very much more focused specifically on you're the only person that can celebrate the sacrament, so you better go and do that, and other things have better be picked up by others. Mm. Um, and the, and for me now, the diaconal piece, the bit that's about managing, organising, money, businesses, and, uh, and, uh, and 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 frameworks, that stuff is what is what's front and centre for me. Mm. Um, and but it's not that it's not. Um, part of the ordained ministry it's not that it's not part of holy order it's just that it's that bit of the holy order which is about waiting at tables Mm. Uh, and uh, just occasionally being bunged on a grid island and and, and cooked over like Saint Lawrence was and cooked over the fire and having to say I'm done on that side now you can turn me over (laughs) you do have to be the person that can sometimes take the take the lightning in a little bit
1: yeah Uh,
0: that's that's a great answer
1: I had my wife told me yesterday that that uh, she, she was having a conversation with somebody, and and, and explaining sort of frustration at, at her job as a teacher, and and um and they said, yes, well as Christians we all say we want to be servants, and, until people start treating you and speaking to you like you're a servant, And then it gets a lot harder. Uh, That's exactly it. Spot, <laughs> absolutely spot on. <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, well thank you for that. Uh, just one more question before we ask you to say something about the the, uh, the main subject today. Mm-hmm. Um in in the Anglo-Catholic world I think many people sort of associate it with more, you know, the sort of um bells and smells, you know, rituals, vestments. Yeah. Uh let's 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 call it what it is, tat and all kinds of other stuff of that sort. Um one of the things we like to emphasize on this on this podcast is that uh, there's much more to Anglo-Catholicism than that. There's also, uh, there's faith, there's pra- practice, there's ethics and so on. Um, you're somebody who clearly has an appreciation of that, that unity of dogmatic, moral and liturgical um, theology in, in Catholic Orthodoxy. Um, can you just, can you just tell us something about, you know, how how you came to see that, that unity and how you see it now?
2: Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, and I think that's really helpful. I mean, I've often said to curates that uh, the, uh, that the ministry of the uh, in in the church is a life led and not a job done, and I think that's true actually of, um, of of the whole of the of the ministry of the baptized, the life of the baptized. It's not a hobby mm-hmm. undertaken. It's a um, it, it, it's a life led, and as I've said earlier the uh, my own background was of a slightly more austere liturgy you know i wasn't brought up with i mean my both my parents liked it but but the actual expression was was um certainly not uh, um you know central london anglo catholicism in all its glory much mm. as i i have over the years benefited from that and enjoyed that immensely and love it to this day mm. um and uh, and for me it was um around growing into uh yes the beauty of the liturgy and the uh, uh but there's something around what underpins all of that and i think it's it's two or three things i mean there's and, it, it, and it's a, it's a virtuous circle so it's difficult to, wait, where do you break in on the hermeneutical circle of this but there is something around um uh believing this to be true um and um or uh, well, let's go back because i think augustine would be right you don't start with believing it you start with living it so there's mm-hmm. the there's the there's the rhythm of life um that's about um uh, the moral frameworks of life it's about the just the the uh, one of the things my mother was very good at with this was the 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 the, the life of the christian year um mm. advent and christmas and Lent and keeping those seasons and then also the feast days uh my grandmother always sent us um cards on our name days and so that that rhythm of the church's year draws you into the rhythm of prayer um and then when i began to study a little bit more um there was the whole thing around what is, what's the content of all of this um, and uh, particularly I think Trinitarian theology because that began to give me an understanding of, uh, uh, of who it is that I am worshipping and um, the fact that made in the image and likeness of God uh, as a human being who thrives and grows because of the interaction that one has with others, which is exactly what is happening in the Godhead, uh, that therefore one is, one is growing and deepening all the time in one's interaction with others through that, uh, through that practice of the, of the life of the community. And then that expresses itself in, um, in, in, in the expressions of, of, of prayer and worship, which again build the community and come back to that rhythm of life. And so those, those things are sort of mutually supportive.
1: Mm. And,
2: and I think for me, you, you need all the, all the bits of them. Um, and what you certainly can't do is to just, you know, climb into some fancy clothes and put on some nice music and claim that that's kind of like Catholicism. It's not that. It's There's a whole framework there uh, that goes far beyond just the surface of those things. And you can do it. And actually, those things are the things that you can most easily let go of, it seems to me. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, absolutely. OK, well, um, we uh so clinton um invited you you on uh i mean i'm very happy you're here as well but clinton invited you on because you he heard a fantastic presentation you gave at, at, at Pewsey house father luke so clinton mm-hmm. do you want to do you want to uh introduce this this yeah, next? yes
1: yeah, yeah father luke uh, father jamie thank you very much can i say a few words about how i came to hear you speak and and, and why we invited you hmm. on the podcast and then maybe a, a bit about what your talk is going to cover um uh, Last year, I was a chapel intern at Pusey House, and we were running a series throughout the year on living in love and faith. And 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 so because Pusey House comes out of the Tractarian movement and and the desire to to recover Catholic Christian unity with the Eastern Orthodox Roman Catholics, and, and also because there's a very high view of, of um, the, the consensus of the Church Fathers as a way of understanding the scriptures and so on, most of the speakers... Came in to defend a, a traditional understanding of of what the Holy Scriptures have to say about marriage, sex, and gender, um, but Father George wanted to include the breadth of of um, the Church of England, and so we also had at, at least one speaker come in and, and make the argument that that um, the best contemporary exegesis um, affirms uh, the 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 culture's understanding of the goods of um, LGBT uh, marriage equality. And and then we had um, Andrew Davidson at Cambridge come in to, to give the sort of affirming Catholic case um, for understanding Thomism, natural law and the tradition in such a way as to accommodate 21st century revisions of the doctrine of marriage. uh, I envision I that, that, that
0: sounds very interesting, Clinton.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was, it was very, uh, uh, I don't know, creative or uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a surprising presentation in many ways. But, but, I um, uh, you came in and you spoke about the the, the doctrine of marriage and holy matrimony. Um, and also pastoral theology, and and it, it seemed to me that your talk most closely embodied what we're trying to do on this podcast. So, so the point of this podcast is to look at um, what does it mean to be a Catholic Christian in the Church of England. So, what does it mean to to, to um, follow the, the the faith and practice of of the Scriptures and as understood by the consensus of the whole body of Christ as we have received it in the Church of England, um, and, and we sometimes talk about this in terms of um, Evangelical Catholicism or prayer book Catholicism, but as you spoke about the goods of marriage and how you actually um, teach couples who come to you about, about what, what it is to, to be called to the vocation of marriage, I thought, in, in terms of answering all the contemporary questions, at least I'm hearing from students about um you know, I want to be a faithful Christian, but it seems like the church is saying different things about about what marriage is and, and what sex is, what gender is. How do I actually know what, what the Bible teaches and what, what the tradition teaches? It seemed like your talk got to the heart of those questions. So I, I, it's my hope that you'll, you'll just be willing to, to just share that talk with, with a wider audience, because I think a lot of people right now are confused or, or hungry for the truth
2: well thank you that's, that's that's quite an introduction. Thank you very much I mean uh, would it help if I just gave a sort of overview of, of the sort of th- things that I was attempting to cover in that would that be I hope, I, I hope
1: so yes I think that would help
2: um so I suppose um where I started was in thinking around and I should say this is not a specialized subject of mine this is this is something i, I did some reading up on and uh, pulled the things together. Father George was very kind to invite me um and there are other people who are much more versed than I am in the, um, in the whole areas of moral theology and in uh, the various um, scriptural passages. But where I started was around um, uh, human relationships. Uh, and I always go back to Father Congreve because he's the thing I do know about. Um, and one of the things that uh, he said, he, he had a, a whole thing to write about, uh, about friendship. One of the things the Cowley Fathers were getting wrong was that they thought that if you'd made a vow of celibacy, then you couldn't be friends with anybody, including the people with whom you were living in community. Mm. And so their community was an absolute nightmare because nobody spoke to anybody. And it was all thought to be holy to sort of keep your distance. And he utterly uh, uh, pushed back against that. Um, And he said that, having said that, that relationships need to be relationships which are configured in God. And it seems to me that when we're talking about human sexuality, when we're talking about, uh, when we're talking about marriage specifically, we're talking in the end about the whole range of human relationships. You can't just take one bit in, in, in abstract from the others. And Congreve said, I, I, I took this, brought this with me just to, to quote again, because I think it is key. He said, we must only love anybody with God's love and whom God loves as he loves them. Thus, our affections, instead of becoming a means of developing our own self-will, as they are in the world with worldly men, become even a means of suppressing and killing our own will and developing the will of God. And what he meant by that was that uh, when I reach out to someone else in relationship, uh, if I'm doing that in a way that is truly godly, the way that God loves me is that he sacrifices himself for me. He came into this world to save me um, and uh, he, he offers himself uh, 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 to us in that way, and so um, what's uh, what's happening then when uh, um, uh, in the incarnation is is that God is God is coming to us, and so I'm sorry, Bishop Sarah do you need me to go away and do this somewhere else? That's right. Well, we're we're only recording, so isn't Bishop herself is coming to get the kit for her recording. I no, I, I noticed oh, the
0: Bishop of London
2: <laughs> wandering I mean, around in mean, the I mean, background.
0: I mean, this is slightly, a, slightly <clears throat> surreal moment. I'm I mean, I
2: mean, in, in her house of home, you say. So, <laughs> well, so, so, you can you can you can edit this bit. So, 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 when we're talking about relationships as a whole, um, uh, then this is about, so, uh, uh, not about me looking for what can I get from them, but what am I? giving to the people with whom I'm in relationship. And, and, and the thing about that is that because God is configured as, as Trinity, and we know that the, the, the whole thing about each person entirely and completely gives themselves to the others, and it's in giving that we are actually actualized. So you take a child to nursery, um, and the child begins to develop their own character. Keep a child at home with no interaction. The child doesn't even learn to speak and so we develop our characters only when we're giving out to others we see this infinitely in the holy, in the persons of the holy blessed trinity who therefore are infinitely actualized and therefore infinitely three but in the very but, but by definition because of being infinitely offering themselves to others are completely and utterly one
1: mm.
2: and um, that's the 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 framework within which I think we need to look at all of this, and I then spoke about um, uh, uh, about how um, uh, the, that phrase of Saint Catherine of Siena, which I think Bishop Richard Charters made famous when he used it in the royal wedding when, um, uh, when when Prince William and Princess Kate got married, and he said that the that she had this thing that you are each other's work of art, that you're you're making one another, but actually you're also making yourself, and when you offer yourself. So that's, that's where I sort of began. That was the, that that was the beginning of it. Um, And then do you want to press on and just, 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 I mean, Oh yes, please, please. (laughs) So what I then then tried to do in the thing was to say, well, okay, so then let's narrow that down. What's marriage? Um, And, uh, and I began with the idea that marriage is a gift of God in creation. Um, And, uh, uh, and that's uh, the prayer book. Um, it's uh, also uh, what we see in, in Genesis. It's also the uh, the Roman Missal, which has this extraordinary um, prayer um, in, in the, the nuptial blessing. In the Roman Missal, is um, the companionship that they had in the beginning is endowed with the one blessing, not forfeited by original sin nor washed away by the flood. Mm-hmm. The one blessing, not forfeited by original sin nor washed away in the flood, uh, and and that's an extraordinary thing. Um, and that I then said that uh, that. For scripture, um, marriage is a key way of understanding the relationship between God and humanity. So there's the relationship between God and Israel. So living in love and faith, correctly mentions that loads of the old testament figures particularly have all kinds of crazy relationships don't they they have millions of wives and the uh or, or there's 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 tamar and the other women who appear in the genealogy of jesus all of whom are have, have great um, uh, agency but all of whom have, have have weird relationships um there's there's the whole the whole gamut of of of, of, strain, of, of different forms of relationships um but that the, the the key heartbeat is that the relationship between God and Israel is a monogamous marriage and that when Israel runs after false gods, then that's adultery. Uh, and uh, and the, the, so the contrast between the individual behaviours of individual figures and the relationship between God and his people is, is is said. And then the other bit of it is the eschatological piece in Ephesians 5, where the marriage feast of the Lamb, which I think is of the part of what I called the, the paper, uh, and that... Uh, um, and that, uh, that you were once in darkness, says so Saint Paul in Ephesians five. Now walk in the light, and uh, that uh, the that the that the church will be washed of all um, uh, washed of all stain and presented as a as a bride, um, and um, and that whole thing about the relationship between um, uh, the church and uh, and and her savior uh, is a, is a marriage relationship, and that plays into a series of other things. So first what's cause of all, it called well being. Um now we know from all of our studies, we never we don't say this very often because we're so careful, and rightly careful, pastorally, of people that get bruised and uh, and harmed by um incautious uh stereotyping of, of, of very, very few real relationships have anything approximation any, any kind of perfection in them. Um but uh, but there is truth in the in the observ- just straightforward observation that um the um uh, the, the, the best way to bring up children is in a household which has a mother and a father, or at least a mother figure and a father figure. Uh, that's not to diss all those, all those households where, for all kinds of reasons, um, that's not present. But it is just to observe that that's the case, that marriage provides a, a framework for well-being, particularly when set in the wider community. Because when, uh, again, a marriage relationship that is closed, which comes come to that in a minute, um, is unhealthy. Uh, because it's inward looking, it's not about looking out and uh, and open, and and then the whole thing about indissolubility plays back to the eschatological understanding as well, because a marriage which is simply a contract for a period of time, and no one I think is really suggesting time limited marriage with specific dates when it will end come what may, and if they're still in love, but but the idea that there are pre nup arrangements and all the rest of it, that's not actually marriage. That's just that's a different form of relationship. Mm. Um, and um and and it's a and it''s it's, it's underpinned with a vow um a, a covenant which is underpinned by what God is doing in it, um as well as by what we're because we we can't do these things on our own um, and so it's underpinned by god's action um and uh, and so I talked a bit about uh, um how the indissolubility of marriage is a really important part of it, uh, but again, pastorally, you have to be really. Clear, that that doesn't mean that people shouldn't sometimes uh, separate because uh, a marriage which has become violent um, or, um, or or abusive is not one which pastorally one can do anything uh, to support and indeed one pastorally should be seeking to to, to ensure that uh, the people are in a safe space. But because people have separated or um, or, or or have uh, um, ceased to live together as as man and wife doesn't mean that they. The, the marriage itself the, the sacred bond um is itself dissolved um uh, because actually it's a sign of uh it's a sign of God's action um and uh, and so 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 uh, the, the, I I talked about those sorts of things and then I went on into the purposes of marriage which is the the, the second bit of the talk um, I suppose one thing I might just say is about the vows and then I'll pause and you may want to come back at me which is that uh, uh, again this is about the teaching. You know, because you, you asked me about how do how does one teach this stuff, and um, one of the things that's been really controversial, particularly in recent times in in, in Anglican circles, has been the vows. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and specifically obey and worship, and uh, and of course uh, um, the uh, uh, the the thing about obe- obedience is. That it, I use what I always say to a couple, and I, I have a ninety nine point nine success rate in persuading couples that these are the re- the vows re- to use, and Jackie and I used them when we got married. Um, and I, I say I always give you the option, but uh, because the church, the Anglican Church, church of does give the option. But but um, first of all, the, uh, um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the 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 vow of obedience, which the wife must make mm-hmm. first, uh, it says, "I love you so much, and I trust you so much." that I'm even willing to say that I will obey you in the secure and certain knowledge that you will never order me to do anything. Or perhaps a bit more, it, perhaps a bit more dangerously, you'll never order me to do anything that's not in my very best interest because that is the position that the church has vis-a-vis her Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We offer him our obedience. It's a no-holds-barred kind of love. And in the eschatological framework of Christian marriage, that is what the bride does to the groom. That is what the church does to Christ, Ephesians mm-hmm. 5. And then what the husband does and what the husband is to respond by saying, I worship you. And... I will do for you what Jesus did for the church, and that is be prepared to die. I will sacrifice myself for you. I will go even unto the cross for you. Um, and so, uh, and so, Saint Paul says in the same way: husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And so, um, he. The, and this is it's a radical repositioning uh, of the place of men in a patriarchal society because it's saying that the only purpose that you're there is to sacrifice yourself um for uh for for your wife um and um and so that's a no holds barred kind of love that says that the wife is like the church and the husband is like Christ offering himself on the cross are you up for that is your marriage that a star kind of kind of gift of, mutual gift of love, love? Or are you looking for something that's a sort of, you know, B-grade marriage? Mm. That, I don't use these words when I'm pastoring people, obviously, because this is uh, over egging the pudding completely. But I, I, I try to offer the offer the options and then and do that in a relatively neutral way and step back. But actually, I think, you know, in this context, I can say, look, you're looking at something here that is, uh, and it's not something that can be forced, and this is why marriage must be free in a Christian context, because you cannot take on an eschatological living as though the fall had never happened kind of way of life you you can't force that on someone else you can only be prepared to do that if you accept that freely and um, because you're living you're, you're saying we're going to live as though the fall was not there and then see what happens um, Now, of course it, wheels come off all the time but that's the ideal and that's therefore the
1: the, 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 the fundamental
2: of what we're teaching
1: mm. That raises some questions for me, Father Luke, uh, sure. from, from a pastoral perspective s- s- sort of um, scenario. So I, I have friends who are, are um, converts to Anglican Orthodoxy. You, you know, perhaps they came from a secular perspective and reading the scriptures, reading the prayer book, they're convinced, yes, this, this um, scriptural image of man and woman, husband and wife, is correct and the culture's image of, of, of a radical egalitarian ideology where men and women are not only equal but, but interchangeable in a sense, uh it is, is actually unrealistic and, and false. Uh it's 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 not, it's not scientific, it's not true to human psychology or human relations or what have you. And and so these young men like the idea of, of taking these vows where they're supposed to have this kind of Heroic self-sacrifice and, and and also their wife is willing to give of herself in this, this sort of countercultural way. But, but but maybe I can imagine this coming from either side, from the man or the woman, but you can imagine somebody who who you know buys into the contemporary notion that that um men and women should be the same. Uh, looking at the vows on either side, so like like a, a man saying, "Well, why should I be willing to lay my life down and die?" You, you know, like if 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 things get too ugly, I should have an out clause. Or a woman saying, "Well, what if this guy's, um, yeah, you, you know, he he's he's actually not a good leader of the family? Why should I treat him like a leader of the family?" You, you know, you, you can imagine either way people having yeah. their doubts well, you, or you hesitations.
0: Could, with the women, you could also imagine her saying. Why should I submit myself to somebody who's intellectually inferior to me? You know. Yes, yes. which is often the case. Like
1: oftentimes, women are better students than men, or, or they're more um, scholarly or knowledgeable. Yeah. And yeah. so, y- there might be many women who would say, "Well, why should I say I'm going to submit myself to him when he's clearly a, an intellectual inferior?" Yeah. Um, <laughs> so So. so which, you know, f- fair enough. Uh, yeah, my wife but, won all those arguments. <laughs> but, but, but I guess, how do you respond, I guess, just given that there's such a deep catechesis and, and indoctrination in egalitarian ideology in our culture? As you present the, the biblical and, and um, prayer book model of man and woman, husband and wife, and marriage to, to couples, uh, I imagine they come back with a lot of these questions. How do you respond?
2: Yeah. So I th- and I think um, uh, and as I say, so first of all, there is something around uh, around the presentation. I and mean, for the purposes of this this conversation, I have just very very heavily egged the pudding. And of course, in a pastoral conversation, one would uh, be much gentler in the presentation, although the content I think would be the same. And you go to the heart of what the issues would be, and anyone shrewd would, uh, would would spot them. And I think that uh, the and the, and so I think the first thing to say is that this um, is even more radical. Than uh, than we than we give ourselves credit for thinking, you know, that um, we we are being asked by Christ to do something here, uh, which goes far away beyond even what most of us in the church are up to, um, and in fact far and away beyond what is is possible on our own, um, which is why uh, we uh, we approach it um, very carefully and um, but nevertheless, pointing out that this is something that uh, depends, therefore, on a continuing focus on Christ and on His grace. Um, the vows become terribly important, not because they are uh, rules or burdens which I've taken up, but because they're sources of grace about how, how how am I going to how am I going to carry on with this, and it needs to go with um, a way of living which is. Not around creating some sort of crazy countercultural way of living, um, where we're going to um, uh, shut the doors and put up big crosses and, and 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 so on. It's about saying, how do we do this within what you might call ordinary, ordinary life? Because the ordinary life in the West, as Tom Holland has recently pointed out to us, is actually deeply infused with Christianity. And how do we do that in our in in our own life today? So, for example, um, I think that I would always say that. In no well-ordered Christian household is the man wandering around going, I'm ordering you to do this. Those words would not in 70 years of marriage rightly fall from his lips. Mm. Um, the obedience which is offered is not is not met with lots of orders that are given. Mm. Um, the worship that is proffered is not met with lots of sort of that that sort of um, abusive kind of, well, you promised to worship me and therefore I'm going to make your life miserable and you can live in a miserable kind of way it's uh, this is a, a deeper thing than simply saying well here's a, a surface way of, uh, of, of of trying to live in a um, in a in a slightly odd way as they were um you know living out medieval reenactment and uh, 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 and uh, and doing that in day to day life it's about how's day to day life profoundly altered in its fundamentals um by um a, a, a by, by an attitude that underpins what looks and feels actually very ordinary and normal. I don't know if that makes any sense, but uh.
1: I think it does. I mean it seems to me you're saying that that um scriptures in the prayer book affirm the goodness of the circle of sacrifice between man and woman, husband and wife, and and also affirm the goodness of of the created and sacramental difference uh, of, of husband and wife in marriage. Mm. Um, is that an accurate reading
2: yeah it is I mean and, and I think that uh, 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 and, and I think that, that it's also really important that we um, we don't lose the insight about equality in wanting to talk about difference mm. so that uh, and I think that the assertion that things can be equal but different um or, and indeed, that the, the, no, there are inequalities which lie in other things, but the fundamental equality remains the same. So, for example, um, a man and a woman uh, will share in both being equally and completely parents, um, uh, but their role in being parents will be very different, and they might be better or worse at different aspects of parenting. Um, so, you know, in our household, if you if you if you wanted the children disciplined, you didn't come to me. I tell you, um, and uh, uh, because I was no good at it. Um, but there are other things, um, perhaps in the in, in, in the configuration of our family, that I was better, and that would that would be different in different households in different ways. And again, I think that's the other thing: is the flexibility of diff- different patterns, um, and that uh, but that the the mutuality um, lies, yes, as you say, in 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 that recognition that there is a. Um, the, 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 there is the, the the circle of mutual sacrifice that underpins the the, the, the household uh, and into which of course should they come children in due time are are also also joining because it's mm-hmm. not just a closed circle it's not just about the mm. about the married couple
0: yeah i was i was going to ask i was going to ask you to say something about that because it seemed to me um and i so i don't really know whether you'd finished summarizing yeah, sorry. You said, your your presentation um so I'll just ask this. anyway. I think that was part one,
1: Father Gini.
0: Oh, was that part? Is there, is there, I, mean, I don't want to preempt, I don't want to preempt the stuff about children, but all I was going to say is it seemed to me to follow quite naturally from what you were saying about the analogy between the persons of the Holy Trinity and, and human re- relationships.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and and parts of the paper then went on to the purposes of marriage mm. and then talked a bit about um, procreation. And I did it in the order of the prayer book. So procreation of children, um, the, uh, uh um the, and, and then talking about um, uh, the uh um about the remedy against sin and
1: then the mutual society help and comfort that one should have with the other um, okay. can you can you give that part of the presentation and, and um i actually thought it was very helpful that you kind of embodied your your teaching on marriage in the language of the prayer book so can you talk a little bit about how that ties in as, as you're as you're giving that part of yeah. the presentation
2: yeah yeah sure so so in in in, in talking about the procreation of children i began by talking about uh, uh about how the, the the married couple are open to others um and um and that uh, and i went back to father congree's um uh, thing about relationships that uh, christian friendship is, if christian friendship is the love with which god loves us that christian love is the is an expression of the love with which god loves us uh, then that's not exclusive, but inclusive of all, because God loves all. God's love is not uh, focused on, is, is, is for a while we were yet sinners. Um, he, he, he loves us. So it's, it's not even exclusive of, of the sinful. Um, and, um, therefore marriage, which is simply about mutual gratification. Uh, and explicitly and specific sexual gratification, but also the gratification of the need for companionship or friendship, or all those other things that uh, that can happen, or just a you know a, a, a bridge partner. Um, the, the, these things are all um, uh, where they where it's a closed circle. Then that's not what uh, Christian love is. Um, and um, all properly, I, I suggest that all properly ordered human relationships are open ones. Um, and are, and are open to others, um, and I then had a little go at the concept of fruitfulness, which is both in the Catechism of the Catholic Church and also in the Anglican Living in Love and Faith documents, um, and, um, and and noted that um, procreation is specific about children, uh, but is also about the because um, uh, pastorally. Uh, it it recognises also those couples that can't or don't have children, uh, who marry too late for children, um, or, or too late for children by human terms. You know, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and uh, and uh, and others. But uh, uh, but but uh, that, uh, um there are creative opportunities that, as uh, I think, living of faith puts it this way, creative opportunities for a married couple which are outward looking um, and and fruitful. Um, but I think that the key thing is that. Uh, even the couple that believe themselves, with probably very good reason, um, to be likely sterile, need to be open to the idea that, like uh, um, um, uh, Manoah and his wife, the parents of Samson, um, they might suddenly one day find that actually um, they 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 do find themselves with 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 children. But that's uh, the the point is about fruitfulness and, and the and the and the broader the broader gift. I think the uh, the Catechism says talks about a, a conjugal life full of meaning. Even, even to spouses, to whom God has not granted children. Um, and um, But the, the thing about procreation I then went on to say um, was that it's described in the prayer book as, um, or, or, or at least marriage is described as a remedy against sin. Uh, and where I took that was in two directions. First of all, I... I dug a little bit into um, an area that I know very little about, which is modern feminist writing, which is saying that in fact the sexual liberation the the availability of universal availability at least in the west of of contraception has actually made women 's life much more miserable than it has men's, and that women tend to, but through that to become uh, uh instrumentalized um, mm-hmm. and um, there's a a, a rice like quoted um. Who's who's spoken about uh, Louise Perry? Who's mm. written at length on this? Um, yeah,
0: I've, I've read her book. Yeah,
2: yeah, you read it. I mean, I, I haven't. I just dipped into mm. some bits and bobs that I found. So, mm. and she seems to be arguing that this is right, isn't it? That, yeah. That, that, yeah, yeah. That it just does 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 women a terrible disservice because they become instrumentalized as things that men can pick up and use and put down again when they feel like it. Yeah. Um yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and and I said that they, uh, and so I I I played on that and said that. Uh, uh, the the uh, well, so I went on from there to say that um, the, the 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 this is again about the 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 lack of openness and talked about in the the the, the ph- phenomenon of the incel, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, who is of course able in some ways may not have a physical relationship, um, but is able in some ways to have all the experience because you can look not necessarily touch but certainly feel and and all the rest of it uh, uh, and and yet. Because atomized, um, and and I and I um, there's a, uh, I, I read some Eric Maskell and some bits of uh, where he quotes a, uh, a book of uh, Charles Williams's. Charles Williams uh, has this 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 person who uh, is in love with a woman. Uh, he can't he, he he she's he's unavailable to her. She's unavailable to him. So he creates a simulacrum of her, hmm. uh, and instead of it giving him everything that he wants, it drives him mad. Mm. Uh, and Maskell makes the point that uh, for a phenomenologist, it shouldn't do. You should be able to, if you have the phenomenon, if you have the experience, it should all feel fine. But actually, there's something much deeper and much more interior than that. And we see that, we see that truth expressed in the inso experience, in the, the, the lack of satisfaction through pornography and so on. And that, um the, um, and that what's going on here is what uh, Augustine called concupiscence, which is that whole thing where um, because I'm focused on myself, and what I want, and I have a disordered relationship uh, as a result. Um, and, of course, he would have said that that happens in, in every human relationship uh, and every sexual act and so on. Um, and that uh, what I picked up from that, though, was the the idea that in in marriage you have the framework where you are specifically being pushed outwards from yourself all the time. And so it's the remedy against sin in the sense that it's it's pushing you away from that use of, others for my own gratification and towards, uh, towards procreation. Um, and um, this was where I then linked back about, um, about same-sex sex um, as opposed to just simply same-sex marriage. And, and actually all forms of sex that are outside marriage um, and said that the point about this is that at this point we begin to dig into um, why has the church said that sex outside marriage is wrong? Well, it's for these reasons of mm. uh, of needing of it needing to be open to procreation and, and outward looking, and that we're seeing in the outplaying of the sexual revolution um, uh, the uh, the deleterious effects of of of, of 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 that. And and actually, I suppose I, I didn't say this in the talk, but. Given that most of human society, most of the time, has not had a Christian concept of marriage, um, uh, th- there is this whole thing that the fall um, has uh, caused this great gift to be something which is um, w- which works against us rather than, rather than for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I and 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 then I um, and I touched a little bit on uh, humani vitae and uh, the whole business about are we putting ourselves in the place of God and the various different bits of language in the. Uh, in the scriptures I think it was a morning prayer this morning on Thessalonians 4 where um uh, where, where St Paul has one of his lines which you sort of skip over and you go oh what did you just say that uh, because he says uh, um um God did not cause to be impure and to reject this teaching is to reject God mm-hmm. um and you go oh yeah I read that and you go hang on a minute um it, 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 what's going on there and and and, uh, and that the the the, the 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 significance of sin Mm. Which is the rejection of God, in me. and and then I went on about the, the mutual society, health and comfort one should have with the other, pointing out that even in the modern uh, books which put that as the f- first cause of marriage, it nevertheless needs to look back and play into the fact that the gift of marriage also brings husband and wife together in the delight and tenderness of sexual union, and and the and and, and the gift of uh, and, and the gift of children, and um, and I pointed out that um, the um, the, the, again, going back to that thing, that the union of the flesh is more than just simply the experience; it's the profound unifying thing that happens um, as a result of that. Which is, I think, what's being pointed out by the philosophers when Maskell's talking about this whole thing about um, the, the the phenomenon on its own is not mm. enough. There's something something deeper than that. Mm.
0: Um,
2: uh, but then this is about um, a union of um, a, a union of life, mm. um, but that. The mutual society, help and comfort that the one should have with the other needs similarly to remain open to others. And if it doesn't remain open, then it can similarly become a closed circuit. Um, And therefore, that's the whole thing about taking a new place in in society, about the circles of friendship and and connection. Mm -hmm. And I sort of wound it up there. by again, coming back to that whole thing about that, uh, actually, this is about the broad sweep of human relationships, mm. and that tinkering with one, actually is tinkering with the whole network of how we relate to one another as human beings under God.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's a uh, that's fantastic um, food for thought there, uh, Father. Thank you so much for that. Just a just a comment on the um, just a comment on the the Louise Perry thing, and uh, mm. it sort of it sort of leads to a just a sort of follow up question really is <clears throat> you know one of the things i think louise perry is doing in her book the case against the sexual revolution is that she's uh, she's identifying really quite um quite insightfully lots of the lots of the serious problems particularly for women that the that the sexual revolution is causing um you know one one of the things she says is that women are by and large less inclined to what w- what the term she uses is socio sexuality i think which basically means a propensity to have sexual relationships with people you don't know to you know just yes. one night stands and so on women don't really want to do that generally speaking but they are they feel the pressure to do that <clears throat> as they as they grow up into you know as late teenagers and, and adults because that's what men expect of them and yeah. of course the you know of course the concept of pill and, and and so on makes it much easier for all this to happen and men are physically stronger than women so they're more likely to assault women when they get into these situations and, and so on and so forth so she she identifies all that stuff really clearly but then what she does is she offers this um advice and i think it's i think it's sage advice i think it's good advice it's better it's better advice than the advice the world gives it's it's things like um you know don't uh you if you when you meet a, when you meet a guy and you like him you start going out with him don't have sex with him for six months or you know mm. take some time to make sure that he's a safe person and that he's not going to assault you and that you know he's not going to he's not going to do x y z and you know if he does you know accidentally impregnate you then he will he will act decently and you know it's it's like it's like a kind of um An attempt to ameliorate the the terrible conditions for women that's that's kind of the way it came across to me but it seems to me that the it seems to me that really the the solution comes back to what you're saying about marriage and sexual relationships either being these these closed inward focused relationships or being open to all this other stuff that you've been talking about you know i mean centrally of course procreation but having that kind of um what, what, what you might call a, a sort of posture of of openness to everything that might come from from such a relationship mm. um and I, I wonder if that's i wonder if that's what you'd say to that kind of that kind of pushback which which is you know the, the clear pushback would be well you know times have moved on and we prefer to see marriage as as a, you know a mutually beneficial arrangement between two people who are who love each other and are sexually attracted to each other you know what what's wrong with that um what, what do you think about that
2: yeah i mean that's i mean it's superficially it's very attractive but i think what it lacks is the is the underlying element of sacrifice mm. uh, which seems to me i mean this is something i picked up from father congreve very strongly that uh, and also from some people like since the age that um that sacrifice is at the heart of 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 Christianity, it's at, well, it's at the heart of the heart of creation because um, uh, there is because he um, didn't because because Christ coming into the world um, uh, sacri- comes to sacrifice himself for us. He did not cling to that his equality with God, but emptied himself. And the sacrifice begins in the moment of creation. In a way, the sacrifice begins when um, when 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 God uh, creates that which is distinct from himself. Uh, in order that he may love it, because love involves the sacrifice of knowing that the beloved may love is to be loved, and the beloved has to have the option of not loving, and that's, of course, what happens loving back, and that's what happens in the fall. And therefore, um, if the relationship is simply about this is a mutually beneficial arrangement that suits us, then actually that's not about sacrifice, that's about it being beneficial to me. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about me making a contract um, and although it might be mutually beneficial, ultimately I'm only looking at myself, and so it's ultimately it's ultimately selfish and narcissistic, um, rather than outward looking, and uh, and therefore it can't truly be love. Um, love must involve some kind of sacrifice because it has to involve the idea that it's not mutually beneficial at all, but it's completely it's it's completely uh, uh, bad for me um, uh, because I may. Um, uh, I think this is the point about the dereliction, the of dereliction on the cross, um, that uh, um, Christ plumbs the depth of um, what it means to have emptied himself. And there is nothing coming back, not even the approbation of the father. You know, well done, you've done this. Um, um, uh, Austin Farah has this wonderful phrase that uh, my confessor was forever giving to me uh, when uh, he says that... um, Almost everything that we do, even when we're doing good, we have a little bit of us that's looking at me and going, isn't he brilliant? Isn't he doing good? Um, mm. And he talks about this terrible mirror. And it's only in only in heaven, says Pharaoh, where the terrible mirror will at last be dashed from our hands and we mm. can look with unveiled faces uh, and, uh, and and know as we've been known. Um, and I think that that's the, that's the answer I would give. It's a, it, On the surface, it looks great, but actually it can't really genuinely be loved because there's not enough sacrifice in it. Mm.
0: okay clinton clinton i'll i'll um i won't ask any follow-up questions because i know you've got you've got further questions so i'll I'll hand over to you
1: well i i I do have closing questions but before that i just have a sort of tangential question we have had a couple episodes recently where 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 we discussed the the theology of eric maskell and, and and um i'm just trying to remember where where which book you're thinking of uh I, I would just be interested to look at it more closely is it the importance of being human or whatever happened to the human mind what where, where um where does he um talk no, about Charles
2: i can now um i can either look from your footnote. i can visualize it i'm trying to visualize it on the shelf. um it's um it's the one ultimately it's the one about language um mm-hmm. um uh I'm really sorry. I'd have to, I can look it up and send it to you uh, later. I,
1: I know which one you're talking about. Okay. Um. I can't think of the name of it right now either. Okay. Well, that, that's helpful. No, but I, 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 just, I, I really like the, the the Williams point there about, um, it, you know, so, so much of contemporary discussions of, of, of marriage and, and partnership and uh, relationality has to do with sexual gratification and companionship. And, and, um, William's point there seems quite brilliant in that uh if if we're the ones determining what this um sexual satisfaction comes from or should should come from or, or what have you rather than um, receiving that as a given from God uh e- e- even if in the short term it's it's satisfying that it eternal sense or in a deeper sense there's something unsatisfying about it that, that seems quite a profound um observation um, i i think that's right and i think that's where um
2: i mean there's a whole industry built on the fact that pornography doesn't actually satisfy um mm. and and i think that that's and yet it seems to um you know the, the moments of gratification and this is a i mean there's so much isn't there about human art and literature and all the rest of it that uh, and, and spirituality that tries to take us beyond the the, the 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 immediate gratification which actually doesn't gratify, doesn't satisfy, and then leads us to um to need more and then more and then more. Um and I think though the I mean you were you were asking me about you know being pastoral about this stuff. And of course it the the the, the difficulty is that one also wants just to be real about the fact that particularly for young men um uh, or younger men but for um but, but for, um, for for human beings, there is a, a very strong sexual desire and sexual drive. And simply to say, you know, don't do it doesn't help or that, you know, say more prayers and go and sit in a cold bath. Uh, and that uh, there is something around um, how we are genuinely real about these things while not while, uh, as pastors, while hanging on to the. The, the, the theological and practical truth and again i I find Congreve enormously happy on this because not just on 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 this subject but on on every aspect of the uh, of the christian life and he says you, know, you, you can have done a, day, a whole day's journey and uh, feel that you've got nowhere uh, but actually, you did because God was walking with you on the way because He said, "I am the way." And so He's with you when you're on the way. And you might feel that you're just back at square one, but then you pick yourself up and carry on forward, which is where all this fits with the the whole thing around um, around regular confession, around um, the fact that most confessors will will, will recognize that, um, or most of us, just just speaking as a penitent, that you know, I'm forever going back to my confessor with the same sins. Mm. Committed in the same way and in sometimes in the same context, um, because um, uh, that's that's what it is to live a real human life. But that doesn't mean that I shouldn't be confessing them, and it doesn't mean that I'm not making progress. And I yes. think that, that 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 pastoral bit also needs to be in there because it's so dangerous. It seems to me, particularly in this whole in our sexualized society, simply to say, "Well, if you cross your legs,
1: it'll go away," and think and think holy thoughts, it'll go away, because it won't. Keep fighting the good fight. But but I guess it, it this all brings up another question for me. It seems like a key aspect of your framing of the Christian vision of marriage, sex, and gender is the biblical narrative from Genesis to Revelation of, of, of the creation of man and woman, yes, but also the relationship between Christ and Israel and Christ and the church. Uh, uh, of of this relationship between husband and wife. And so this is not an individualistic uh, sexual ethic or or, or understanding of of, uh, human nature, but it's one that that um, looks at the person and embeds our understanding of the person in terms of of the broader understanding of God's relationship to, to mankind, so so i guess my follow up questions would kind of be threefold and we can just take it one at a time if that's most helpful mm. but but first off um as a parish priest at the parish level what it looks like to develop a parish culture that supports friendship family and marriage but then how this applies at the diocesan level in terms of you know, you know what are the courses what are the books what is the formation to make it so you have these kind of parishes and then finally right now we're living in a moment when it, the, the the sexual revolution has kind of reached a culmination in, in in sort of um on one hand a desire to to pass on this Christian vision to to um, relationships that lie outside that vision and, and so that would be the kind of conservative aspect of the of the sexual revolution. then on the other hand sort of um nominalist and antinomian, Radical wing of the sexual revolution, wh- where the, the the attempt is to deconstruct any sort of given, uh, created or sacramental reality to to marriage, sex, and gender, and and to allow simply the the human will uh, and human desire to determine all and remake all in, in whatever um, the the individual ego desires uh, or, or or imagines. So so I guess yeah, I, I, would you like to just take on all three of those or should we take it one at a time starting with the parish what does it look like to pass this on to the parish let, let, let me let me have a go with the parish and,
2: and and so first of all I think there is something around um I mean you correctly pointed out that what I've attempted to do is to set it in a broad framework and therefore in handling scripture to avoid the text thing um yeah. and therefore the whole argument that goes well you know, if you're saying that homosexual sex is wrong, then why is it wrong to take uh, to to eat prawns? Why isn't it? You know, it, and I've been in too many arguments like that, for or, or, or seen that sort of thing. Going. And I think that so in setting a parish culture, then you need to stay with that broader um, whole thing around um, what is the sweep of sweep of teaching and the sweep of scripture. And in the most controversial subjects, um, I found it helpful, or found it helpful when I was a parish priest of a larger church. Not to um, uh, only seldom, and, and usually in the context of um, of, of the study group and the, or the personal conversation, where there's an opportunity for come back and, and and debate, genuine debate, uh, rather than one one six feet above contradiction in the pulpit. But only seldom from that spot to uh, uh, to do the thing of saying, you know, here is here is a. a um, uh, a very specific, concentrated piece of teaching on this subject, um, or whatever the subject might be, um. What I've tended to do is to weave the controversial subjects into uh, the, the the teaching around other things. And so, when one is talking about how communities hang together, then suddenly you start saying, well, "This is why uh, we may we, we why we were we, we were talking about uh, or um, uh, about marriage and sex in this way. Uh, this is why, when we're talking about God's gift of life and death, we we have a particular teaching about uh, um, uh, uh, about abortion or or about euthanasia, and so we and rather than preach a sermon about those subjects, is to is to show how they all fit, um, because there is something around, as you were saying at the big top of the conversation, around this being uh, a, a, about a whole, and that each thing is. Uh, it's, it's, it's not that they mutually support one another. That sounds rather negative, but that all of these things fit together into a larger picture, uh, and they're all aspects of that picture. And to keep that going throughout all all levels of parish teaching, and uh, and then I think there's the other attitude, which which says not that we are a group of, uh, you know, not that this church is even seeking to become um, a gathering of the elect. Um, and that we must call out impurity and wrongness, and you know, tell you know, and, uh, um, but actually to uh, simply to be to recognise that the, the a church which is genuinely growing and evangelistic will be like the early church was that we will alexander the coppersmith will be a member of our church and so also will simon may just be a member of our church Um, and that sometimes peter and paul will be having an argument face to face with one another and that that will be going on and that we will be a group of, uh, of sinners on the way not a gathering of the elect or even a group of sinners who are seeking to work out what sin is and chuck it out and i think that um, for me, inclusivity, which has become a hot potato word in the church movement, is got to be about saying, um, here comes everybody, and all of us are being called to change um and that I am uh, 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 and then I think the third area is around and this is more and more explicit I think in the in the modern church's got to be something around challenging the um, the actualization which says I find my identity in being different from you rather than saying, I find my identity in where we are together, um, children of God, um, in the similarities. And so, um, and a very different kind of thing, I was a parish priest in a very multicultural area, and I refused in my church, contradict, contradict, to get different views of the church and its daughter of mine, where, to have um, um, uh, specific organisations around particular linguistic or, or or national national background groups Um and I also said that absolutely everybody is invited to absolutely everything that happens in the church, um, because it's got to be inclusive in that in that broader sense. There will be some things that are more appropriate for for some than others. Doesn't mean I didn't have a mothers' union or a children's group or whatever, but that um, but that you you you've got to try to not play that game of saying I find my identity in mm. So that's how I try and do a parish thing. Um, I mean, in terms of the um, um, uh, 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 of the the, the, dio- the diocese and the uh, and the and the, the church more widely. I mean, I think we just have to be honest and say that the Living in Love and Faith process has been a noble effort to try to provide some materials both nationally and to, and to cascade them out. And actually, I think different bits of the church, you know, we're a bit thin on stuff. Really, you know, the, the catechesis, the books, the the things that we could reach for. Um, in writing that paper, I was not exactly able to go to you know, here's the marvelous brochure that's been produced by the, the whoever which. Of a group that we can all draw on and here's all the material for sunday schools and, uh, and and confirmation classes and even even marriage preparation um it's all a bit homespun and i think we just have to be really honest about that and that's maybe something that uh, you know we're learning we should be trying to correct a little um, um and if you know this material i'd love to know about it because i was i was thinking about this and uh, thinking well you know, where might that stuff be um <laughs> One or two useful books, but there isn't very much around. It seems to me.
1: You heard it here, listeners, from Father Luke Miller, Archdeacon of London. We need books, pamphlets, uh, videos, podcasts from, from an uh, Orthodox Christian position on marriage, sex, and gender. So, so please hear this as a calling.
2: Mm. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, and of
2: course, there is the whole world now. Of, yes. of, of podcasts and, uh, and and YouTube videos and things, which I confess I'm not very up on and probably ought to be a bit more. Um, and I think that there is something around... There are new duties of reading, which are a bit different from what they were even 10 years ago, that uh, maybe people of my generation need to wake up to a little bit. Um,
1: I, I don't think so, though. I do think that you're, you're speaking to an actual lack. I think because um, post-sexual revolution... These these questions of human nature and, and Christian ethics are so controversial. Many people who who God may be calling and has given the gifts to write and teach on these things are afraid because yeah. they don't they don't want to be called names or or, or, or marginalized or, or um Who wants to be JK Rowling these days? Exactly, exactly. And and so so I think what you're saying though is that the, the church needs these teachers and, and God is clearly in every generation gives people the, the gifts. And so yes. it's just a matter of of um, having the courage to say yes. You know, we, we were talking about what the Virgin Mary yesterday. You know, she 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 said yes to her calling, and I'm sure there are people out there who have this calling in our communion, and they need they need to to um, you know by the grace of the Holy Spirit have the courage to to teach and and to write and to record. Yeah, thank you for that. I think that's that. I think that's true. Mm.
2: And then I suppose uh, the, the last bit was that uh, you asked about you know what's going out, uh, out in the world, didn't you? In the uh, um, the, the, the broader piece, and I, I, I think there are voices. It's interesting how the debate is shifting a bit. People are being prepared to, as you just described, so perhaps some of us need to be um, standing forward in the church a little bit. That there is that's beginning to happen, and uh, um, you know we we were just talking, weren't we, about so. Um, um, uh, people like J.K. Rowling and others who are opening up debates. It's not just all one way. Um, and Louise Perry and uh, and others. Um, and um, and there are also others who are putting who are putting the case in. in you know, there's a debate out there. Um, right. And and I, and I think that one of the things that uh, particularly is happening is a, a a realization around the feminist voice. Um, and it's been a particular joy as somebody who's. Uh, a traditionalist on the ordination of women to be able to um to to, to wholeheartedly support voices from the fe- from the feminist position who are beginning to speak into some of these issues around human sexuality mm-hmm. um and uh and i think that um there is something around how um how those voices where are those voices in the church and how do it, how does the church speak speak with and to those voices as well as um some of the others which um have uh yeah have seemed seem to be easier to articulate somehow
1: um uh yeah so but, and, and this is something that we need in the Anglican tradition um, my wife really admires the work of Alice von Hildebrand and and, and um her, her 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 books on on um, man and woman and and the, the privilege of being a woman and, from a a roman catholic perspective but mm. but um i mean clearly we have we we have this this rich biblical and, and um you know, but patristic um, wealth, what wealths to draw on for for women in our own communion, and hopefully we'll see more of those. Um, yeah, you know, a- adding to this teaching and, and contributing. Yeah,
2: mm. I, I think that, I think that's right, and and, and I think it's a you know, it's about where are those voices and how 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 to how to find and hear them and to, uh, and, and articulate them and to um, yeah, and uh, I suppose one of the one of the things that uh, you know, I, I can't stop being an, a, a middle-aged white middle-class man. But uh, <laughs> where are where, where 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 where's the little slot where one can one can help oneself a little bit in these things? Um,
1: yes, hmm. Father Jamie, do you have, do you have any final questions or thoughts before we wrap up the episode?
0: No, no. I mean, I think that's I think that's really helpful. I just I think the thing with the contemporary feminist thing is is um, very true, and I think it's. I think it's the case that what they what people like Louise Perry and J K Rowling are doing is they're in, and others as well the swimmer a former swimmer Sharon Davis is another yes. name that that springs to mind is they're intuiting and they're intuiting intuiting sorry truths about um men and women um but they don't they don't have the they don't have the the gospel the biblical framework to um contextualize them but it's encouraging because they are they are clearly onto something and they're clearly pushing back against um, the the unreality of the idea that you know there there literally is no difference between men and women and that they're just you know they're just uh, interchangeable as Clinton said earlier um, yeah. I think that that's um, it it is it is good to to point out these things whether you know these positive developments whether whether happening in cult- culture albeit in the context of um, you know abs- absolute confusion and and catastrophe in this area more generally in the culture yeah
2: I think that's right. And and where those voices are in the church, I'm not sure. But if we could start to hear them um, and uh, I was going to say find them, but I'm trying to learn not to use that sort of language because they're, <laughs> they're not lost. They're perhaps just uh, um, speaking in places which uh, have a slightly less platform. But uh, yeah.
0: Mm, yeah. 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 No, yeah. No, thank you, Father Luke. I think that's been I think it's been really, really helpful. Loads of food for thought there and um, and uh, real, real insight. I think particularly what you say about the. Uh, you know, I was thinking, uh, it got me thinking quite deeply when you think, say that thing about placing these ethical in, uh, issues within the context of the big sweep of scripture. I think that's mm. a really, really helpful thing to say and to think about not just this issue, but many other issues as well. How how one would use that idea to, to contextualize ethical issues uh, in the parish setting. I, I find that really, really helpful idea. And I'll certainly take that. Take that away and think about it.
2: No, thank you. And just, just uh, you know, just to say that I remember once my wife saying, say, say, me saying, slightly, you know, against myself. Oh well, of course, I, I've never really preached about the ordination of women, and uh, you know, maybe I've you know, sold the past here and been too cowardly to do it. And she said, "My goodness, you talking about all the blooming time. <laughs> you know how difficult it is for me sitting there listening to you all, all the time." <laughs> no, I'm not. And of course, it's because of that thing about wrapping it in.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I find that I find that very helpful. Um, well, thank you, Father. Luke. Thank you for your time. You. It's been it's been great to have you on. Um, and uh, Clinton, I don't know if there's is there anything else you want to say to to wrap up?
1: Oh, thank you so much, Father Luke. And I would love it if 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 um, a- after I have the chance to read your book on Father Congreve, you know, based on what you've said about it, and based upon his role. In, in, in christian history and anglo-catholic history if you could come on to talk about your book that
2: that would be uh, i'm always delighted about father congress that is a specialist subject i feel much more confident to
1: talk about <laughs> well and, and, and thank you for your courage in coming on to talk about this because i know it's not an easy subject to to, to tackle and, and uh well no it's your work on physician heal myself
2: have we not just like <laughs> Craig, if we don't talk about it and if we don't find those places and even if somebody if somebody like me can stumble through us a little bit then maybe somebody is slightly more um uh, slightly more knowledgeable and, uh, uh, and capable can uh, can do something different.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, um, thank you. Thank you, Father Luke. Um, if you'd like to uh, give us any feedback or comments, uh, you can email us at holycv at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at holycv1. Uh, but until next time, uh, we'll say goodbye. So uh, goodbye to Father Luke and uh, to Clinton, and uh, goodbye from me as well. And uh, we'll look forward to being with you again. Bye bye.
2: Bye,